Welcome to Entrepreneur Mindset Reset, the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to learn from fellow business owners how to decrease the chaos and increase their sense of fulfillment while becoming more profitable. I'm your host, Tracy Trapesky. I'm an executive coach and consultant and mindset mastery expert. I'm also mom to two amazing teenagers and a menagerie of adopted furry family members. In each episode, we explore challenges, opportunities, and actionable tips to help you move your business forward while staying true to your vision. You'll hear from me and my guests how we've tackled some of the pitfalls and unexpected surprises that entrepreneurship delivers. We're the real deal, and we're here to inspire and encourage you. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today for a new episode of Entrepreneur Mindset Reset. In today's episode, I am honored to speak with the distinguished and insightful Dr. Yishai Barkadari, psychologist, adaptability coach, and host of the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast. He shares how to harness adaptability as our superpower and that we have two brains, our habit brain and our automatic brain. I love his analogy about flexing both the biceps and the triceps at the same time and how some people might have developed that skill, but it is likely going to break a bone for most of us. Dr. Yushai teaches us that we can use our emotions as a system to provide data, direction, and drive rather than something to avoid or stuff down. And that data can help us get things done. You won't wanna miss when he talks about overwhelm and stress. It's so interesting. And it helps us take the pressure off of our fear of stress, our emotions, and feeling overwhelmed. Dr. Yishai's insightful coaching is changing the face of the corporate world, supporting people and being happier in their jobs and building stronger adaptive teams. Check out his podcast, The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai to hear more of his insights and to hear how he draws out connections with his guests. You can also listen to my interview with him as well and the moment when he helps me have a major aha. So grab a beverage or a snack and settle in to listen to Dr. Yishai and his amazing journey. Dr. Yishai, I'm so happy that you're here today. Thank you so much for coming. Sure, my pleasure. I'm really excited for our conversation, Tracy. Oh my gosh, while we were warming up, I got all excited. So I feel like I'm a giddy little kid right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I'm really excited that you're here. I'd love to share with our listeners where you're located in the world. Yeah, so I'm located in New Jersey. Pre-pandemic, I would travel into New York, which is where I work as a psychologist, but I've been doing a lot of working from home. So based in New Jersey. Excellent. So do you, are you doing like telehealth visits with most of your patients now or all of your patients? Yeah. Yeah. This is good. Yeah, it's been a transition. I also feel deeply grateful both for myself and for my patients that we've been able to continue doing the work, Mm -hmm. even though it's different. It's different and it's taken some adjustments, but, you know, as we were saying before we started recording, there's so much more, I don't know if there's actually more need for work with psychologists or if people are just more aware of it and more open to it. But I've talked to so many people who have sought out therapy since, especially since going into isolated lockdown, like that's been a big adjustment Mm. for a lot of people. So we also do all of our, my children have their therapy appointments. They're all through telehealth and we go to the go air quotes, go to the pediatrician via mm-hmm. telehealth. <laughs> we only go in when they need blood work mm-hmm. or, or an inoculation of some kind. So yeah, it is. It's really good. I get that gratitude. It's We, we transitioned really easily in our house too, because we already worked mostly from home. So mm-hmm. there wasn't much that we had to transition, but I'm so thankful for that already. Yeah. It's been and a this, time of so many transitions. Yeah. I would imagine 
you are a therapist in your regular, you know, not really nine to five, but your regular full-time work and you have a coaching practice. So tell us about one, that, and also what led you to, to decide to move into the world of coaching? Yeah, thank you. So I'm hearing two questions. One is about what I do in the coaching and in the business that I have, that I've kind of created. And then also I'm hearing what led me there. Mm-hmm. And so where it comes from or what the mission is underneath it. I'm going to add a third thing, which I think is very important, which I'm actually going to start with, which is a disclaimer. I may be a psychologist, but I'm not your psychologist, both you, Tracy, and also the audience, for those of you who are listening. And so I do encourage you and recommend before you take anything that I'm talking about, make sure you do your own research or consult, especially if you're something mental health related. So I just wanted to start with that. I think it's really important to be clear and draw those lines. So to talk a little bit about the coaching practice that I have. So it actually started, interestingly enough, with the work I was doing in some ways I'm still doing as a therapist. So, so many of my patients who come in who are struggling with something and, and they're experiencing a lot of distress or dysfunction, there's something that isn't working for them. For so many of them, I would say if I had to estimate maybe 80 plus percent of them, they talk at some point or another about work and about issues they're having. And mm. there's a lot of stuff around getting overworked. And there's a lot of stuff around leadership. There's a lot of stuff around stress. Sometimes it's anxiety. Sometimes it's conflict and being able to communicate well. Sometimes it's feeling like they're not getting heard or they don't have a voice. And obviously some of their own personal stuff can be a part of that. But I also found that so many people really struggle with a lot of what's going on for them at work. And I fortunately have a really strong background in career and industrial organizational psychology, which was definitely a part of both my training, but is also part of getting licensed. Something else I noticed is that for many of my patients, they really struggle to communicate and get heard, particularly mm-hmm. with their leadership. And so I started doing some digging and I found some research that showed that like 89% of people who leave a job leave because of the leadership. Whereas the assumption that most is like 90 plus percent, if you ask leaders or entrepreneurs or bosses, they'll tell you that the reason they think most people leave is because of money. As Mm. it turns out, if you ask the people who are leaving, the vast majority of them are leaving because of leadership. Mm -hmm. And I just, I saw it left, right, and center. And so one thing that I found myself doing a lot was helping my patients learn to identify what they were feeling and experiencing and also learn to adapt how they're communicating in a way that their leadership could understand and hear it. So unfortunately, particularly in in a lot of corporate environments, saying words like I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed, uh, I'm afraid, um, I'm afraid of making mistakes, I'm afraid that I have too much on my plate, or I'm overwhelmed with all the work that I have, um, or I'm so stressed out, that kind of language often isn't responded to very well. And what I found was I ended up really helping my patients learn to communicate more what I call functionally. Mm. So not just identifying what they're experiencing, but what that experience is telling them about what the issues are, what needs they have, how those needs are not being fulfilled, and how to communicate all about that in a way that that makes sense to their leadership and that is relevant and that is appropriate for the workplace. You know, I think that ideally we would all understand and know how to interpret when somebody says I'm overwhelmed and I have a really brief, clear formula for that, which we might be able to get to later, but kind of coming back, what I really found is I ended up showing and teaching and and helping my patients learn how to communicate 
And I call that managing upwards, mm-hmm. which I think is a travesty that it needed to happen that way. Right. But it was really about essentially showing or teaching the leadership why them being overwhelmed was not good for them, was not good for the leadership, was not good for the company, and wasn't good for the bottom line. And that they had to communicate and explain all of that without using the word overwhelm, to me, is a travesty. And it's, I think it speaks to how we don't necessarily understand how to connect the dots or communicate effectively. And sometimes we're not even really knowing how to tap into it ourselves. I mean, it took me the better part of 25 years after some of my own really difficult experiences to start to figure this stuff out and to really get to a point where I could start to pull this stuff apart and be able to develop and and communicate it clearly in that way, Mm -hmm. in a way that really helps everybody and and really lends itself to win-win solutions. So one thing I noticed is after doing that for months and for some of my patients, as we talked about that, what happened was they would communicate it and their leadership would like get it. And it would just be really transformative and really amazing. And for some of the leaders, they were slower on the uptake and some of the leaders really started to take this and really utilize it. And so I I immediately started to notice that difference. And, And another thing I noticed is a lot of people, their leadership didn't respond, even when they communicated in that way. And many of those ended up getting other jobs. I mean, they left. Mm. And of course, they left because, well, the leadership wasn't really listening when they were communicating about their needs and, and in ways that were also really about, they were in the interest, not just of themselves, but also of the quality of their work, the amount of work they could take on, being able to grow both themselves and also grow the company and what they can handle for the company or take on for the company you know, and how to also make their leader look good. I mean, they just, all of that, what really wasn't getting addressed. And so at some point I I said to myself, I said, I I enjoy doing this work. I mean, I think it's amazing. And I have fortunately really been able to help my patients. I said, I can also continue to work from the ground up or I could at some point, you know, invert that pyramid, Mm -hmm. which often is such a hierarchical pyramid. And instead of trying to help my patients, which again, I'm always invested in them, instead of just trying to help them manage upwards, I could help leaders understand and learn both in how to communicate and how to listen so that they can take whatever is going on, whatever they're experiencing or hearing, or the people around them are experiencing or hearing or expressing, and use that as critical information, be able to harness that. I like to say there are three Ds for adapting, and all of them are necessary. There's data, direction, and drive. And we all have in our brain a system that's designed to give us those three things. And if we get intentional and we're seeking those three things, we will be poised to adapt. Mm -hmm. And so I said to myself, if I can help entrepreneurs and leaders really learn how to take this on, they can make adaptability their superpower, which for anybody who started a business or has owned a business or who has been in a leadership position, you know that adapting is absolutely critical, not just for surviving, but also for thriving. Mm -hmm. And if you can make it your superpower, then you can reach for and accomplish your goals and dreams. There's so much that you can do and even overcome and work through and even separate from overcoming and working through. If you have that framework and that structure and you know how to really harness it, you can really squeeze the juice out of it, then it can be rocket fuel for you. And it doesn't matter if it's the positive reactions that we want people to experience. We want people to be passionate, engaged, excited about work, especially the people who are working for us in what they're doing. We want them to take on more and want to do more. 
And that's in addition to the exhaustion, the stress, the overwhelm, all of which, like I said, when you really understand them, they are trying to help. They're actually part of your adaptive system in your brain. So for me, that's where starting this really came from. It is recognizing that I have spent so much time figuring out and pulling apart and making sense of adaptability. And it's also very possible to go top down, not just bottom up. And it can make a huge impact because working with one leader, one entrepreneur who has five or 20 or 250 or 2000 employees working under them, then it's not just one trying to work their way upwards through the system. It's that one at the top who can impact and create change across and down the entire system. And so there's so much greater impact that can be made that way. Mm -hmm. I love, I, I hear kind of two things coming through from the point of view of like what makes an entrepreneur an entrepreneur. <laughs> One is seeing a gap, right? Seeing a need and filling it. And it's a need that we might sort of pay lip service to. Like we, you know, I was thinking about how we talk about emotional intelligence and in the corporate world, it's kind of a, sorry to all the corporate people, but blah, 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 wah, 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 the peanuts teacher. Like it's mm -hmm. there and we talk about it, but it's not, I don't think anybody is truly learning how to put it into place. Like we can learn about it, but now what do we do with it? Mm -hmm. um, and I think the other is recognizing that you, you can continue to have an impact on individuals, but you can also go and have a greater impact by going to key individuals within organizations. Mm -hmm. And I think for our listeners, it's important to, to hear that if you're toying with a business idea and you're not sure, look at the ways that you're going to make an impact because it'll help drive you forward. So yeah, that's really cool. And yeah. So who are your, who are your ideal clients? You know, you mentioned um, leaders and entrepreneurs. Are you looking at particular industries or are you, like, how are you approaching this? Yeah, it's a great question. So for me, it's less about demographics and more about what I like to call psychographics. So mm. when I think about it, it's really about entrepreneurs and leaders who are thirsty to learn and excited to reach their goals and their dreams, who know that adaptability is a key to thriving, that if they can harness that, that if let's say they have a subscription business and they get negative feedback about something they put in a box, you know, in one of their subscription services or products, right? That if they can harness that and if they understand how to harness it, right? There's a significant difference between looking at that and either dismissing the person or, you know, kind of beating up on ourselves or ignoring it versus asking yourself, okay, what is it that this is communicating? What's the data coming back to those three Ds? What data is indicated when I get this piece of feedback about something in the box? What direction do I need to take this, right? And what more data can I gather? Let's mm -hmm. come back to that for a moment. And then what direction do I want to go? What direction do I want my business to go? What direction do I want my customers, my clients, my users, what do I want them to experience and have? And to use all of that as drive, to really motivate ourselves, to sometimes you want to hit the brakes on something. Sometimes you need to hit the gas and to figure out what those things are, whether it's positive feedback or negative feedback, whether it's a complaint that comes from a client or a complaint that's coming from somebody who's inside your own company and one of your teams, right? So for me, it's about somebody who's really oriented to consistently learning and who would love to have the tools and frameworks 
to be able to make adaptability their superpower, to be able to extract and direct themselves, right? extract that information, extract understanding, and really direct themselves and their companies towards growth in every possible or imaginable, imaginable circumstance. That doesn't mean we can control everything, but it does mean that when we recognize that adapting is about how I interpret and respond and how there's systems in my brain that are designed to help me do that and I can harness them, mm-hmm. then, I mean, there's so much that can happen there. And so those are kind of my, you know, my people. Mm-hmm. Those are your people. I love that. And, you know, when we were talking before we, before we started recording, we were, you know, you know, kind of laughing a little bit about this, but I think that this is a really important distinction, especially in the world of coaching is that there can be a lot of people and organizations that need what you do, mm-hmm. but you made this key distinction that they, that they want to be consistently learning mm-hmm. in order to do better and to make a greater impact. And so I would imagine that that keeps the door wide open for you in terms of like who your market is, you know, and it also maybe can be challenging, right? When we call, we're chit-chatting a little bit about marketing that a marketing professional is going to say niche, 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 niche. Mm-hmm. And then there's, I'm similar and I don't go necessarily into a particular industry. It's more a type of individual purpose-driven organizations, people with big visions. Mm-hmm. And so my answer is, personality, 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 (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, and marketing people just love me, you know, but, (laughs) but I think that it's really important because you're bringing something forward that is key and, and could potentially change the whole face of business. Mm. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of our business models are still kind of based on the old industrial concept, which is very different from the way we currently work. And I'm sure that you know a lot more about this than I do, but I think that it's really important that you're bringing it forward from another perspective, right? The coaching, coaching and therapy, you know, kind of are kissing cousins, but in the world of coaching, it's a different approach when you look at it from a business perspective. So I'm, I'm excited to hear that you're doing this work. Thank you. And I wanted to add something else to that, which I think is really important to talk about my lane, what's in my lane and what's not in my lane and where Mm. I do go and where I don't go. Because ultimately this comes back to the people part of business. Mm. And that's really my domain. So, I mean, all businesses have a people part to them because, you know, our customers, our clients, our users are all people. And we ourselves are people, you know, the leaders, the entrepreneurs, we are people. And all our teams are made of people, right? What I don't address and what I don't help with and what I don't solve are problems that are not people problems. So a marketer will tell you that they can help you with your marketing issues, right? Somebody who is in sales might be able to help you with parts of your sales process. I don't address those things, right? Right. I don't fix those pieces of people's businesses and I don't help them kind of reach for that next level. And I think that really makes a very big difference because if you want the human side of your business, whether that's for yourself or for your teams, if you want that part of your business to grow, to function optimally, to be smooth and to all be aligned so that both you and your company and everybody in it are maximally, optimally contributing to the goals and dreams, both of your company and all those people in it, then that's stuff that I, that I work with. Mm-hmm. But I've had people ask me, you know, how do I price this thing? Or how do I, you know, and, and I'm like, 
This that's outside of my lane, <laughs> right? <laughs> Do your market research, hire a marketer, right? Go figure that stuff out. And there are plenty of people, there are coaches, there are marketers, there are yes. companies, right? That will totally help you with that. And that's not what I do. Really what I do is the people side of business. And one thing that I talk about, there's actually an episode on my podcast about this. One thing that I found to be woefully lacking and undervalued is listening, Mm. especially in a corporate environment. There's a lot of dictating and there's a lot of telling and there's a lot of determining what people should be doing or even how they should be doing it. And there's a lot less listening and understanding. And the thing about listening is listening is about gathering data just through our ears from the mouths. And I'll say the fingers because people are typing on their keyboards, mm-hmm. right? From what people are doing and experiencing and communicating. Listening is all about that. Why do consultants get paid so much? And what is the first job of a consultant? Their first job is to listen. It's to figure out what is happening, to take a look around and pay close attention. And the reason they get paid so much is because, as it turns out, listening is incredibly valuable. And when we don't do it, then we create more people problems. Mm -hmm. I joke that I listen for a living, right? Therapists (laughs) don't even have to joke about that, right? (laughs) (laughs) And I'll, and I'll, you know, it is the key. There's so much that we can learn. What is the old, I was trying to think of like, I, I remember my grandmother used to say it something like we have two ears and one mouth for a reason, something like that. Mm. Right. And, and that always, I think I always heard that as a child when I was talking too much, but I, as an mm. adult hear it differently, right? Like, yeah, you know, there's so much that we can learn by paying attention and we can listen. Like you're saying, you know, it's through typing too. listening. Is it like a multi-sensory tool that we have? You know, I listen by observing by watching people. I'm not a body language expert, but I watch body language and I can pick up a lot of things when I see that in people's eyes and the way they move their bodies and whatnot. So it's something that it's been a long time since I've worked in the corporate world as an employee, but I do, you know, serve the corporate world. It's something that I observe a lot that people are just either there's so much pressure and people are working at a particular pace, or as you said, it's sort of, there's this top-down structure that everything has to be a directive And so the Mm. listening is really missed out on, but the leaders who listen have, I think the most successful and most loyal and committed teams. Mm. So we know this, we can say it, but I love that you're putting it together and bringing it to the leaders and the entrepreneurs of the world who care, not just the ones who need Mm. it, the ones who care and care enough to be willing to change and do the work and because it is work, right? It's not sunshine and lollipops doing this kind of work. It's self-reflection. It's humble pie. (laughs) (laughs) You know, receiving feedback, listening to it. Yeah. In so many ways, I think about it as you were, as you were talking about it, I think about it as almost like three steps. There's saying it and then there's really knowing it Mm. and then there's doing it. Yeah. And there's a lot of saying it can involve lip service. I mean, saying Mm -hmm. by definition is not really listening, right? Right. So there's saying it, which doesn't mean that we really have have taken it in. And then there's knowing it. And I mean, knowing it in our bones, like really seeing it, right. hearing it, knowing it. And then there's doing it. And doing it is different even than knowing it. You can know it, but then the act of doing it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of skill involved. And it's not something we learn. We don't get trained to do this. And so I find in the coaching that I do that it's often really geared towards that. There's so much of 
learning how to do. Mm-hmm. And there's frameworks and tools and there's there's so many things. There's so many parts of that. And of course, it's going to look different for every person because we all have our different areas of strength and areas of challenge and and we can draw on those. Yeah. That's exciting. So what do you find when you work with people? Are there any big resistance or is there have you noticed any patterns in how people receive what you're teaching them to do? <laughs> you know, one thing I noticed is it really depends on how you come you come at it. Mm-hmm. So the words feeling and emotion do tend to set some people running. Mm-hmm. And what I think is often really important to recognize is that most of us have a set of understandings, beliefs, views, I would say learning that we've had about feelings and emotions for ourselves, for others, and a way in which we've experienced them and their impact in in the workplace, in our relationships. I mean, there's a lot, and I think there are a lot of mistakes and a lot of distortions around that. And so one thing I find is that people do care about their and others' feelings. We don't always understand how to make sense of them. We don't always know how to respond effectively. And that can really trip us all up. Uh, So one thing that I've really noticed is it helps to come at it from a position of recognizing what an emotion is and what our whole emotion system is, because it's a system. Mm -hmm. So the important thing, and I'll actually back up because I think I I already came at it from the other end, which is the (laughs) end that, that, that lends itself to more resistance. And I like to say that we have two kinds of brains or two, I think about them as processes or systems in our brain that work in tandem. Mm-hmm. One side is, I like to call it your habit brain. And your habit brain is an automating, energy saving, right, output increasing process. It's an automating, systemizing part of our brain. And so it happens on its own. I mean, it's, it's really designed to do this on its own. How do we all as adults, for those of us who get to walk, how do we walk? Hmm. And were we always that way? We were not, and it can now be a habit, right? Most of us, we can now walk and do things like either hold a conversation or listen to a podcast or pay attention to something else. That doesn't mean that it's always the most uh, advisable thing to do. You should (laughs) probably be aware of our surroundings, right? Crossing the street and texting is not necessarily advisable, Right. right? But we do have a part of our brain that's designed to help us automate, to get to a point where we do not need to put as much thoughtful energy, you know, resource heavy effort into doing something. That's one side. And so many people, especially in business, talk about habits, making habits, millionaire habits, billionaire habits, you know, seven habits of highly effective people. Your 5 a.m. habits. Right. (laughs) right. Morning, right? Your morning habits and your evening habits and, you know, and, and all of those things. And don't get me wrong. If we didn't have those things, we would not be able to both sit upright in a chair and have a conversation. Mm-hmm. So it is vital. And at the same time, I like to think about them as two muscle groups, like your biceps and your triceps. Meaning every time you want to use one of your muscles, like your bicep, you actually need to loosen up your tricep if you're going to really fully use that bicep. Right. And as it turns out, there are only a small number of people on the planet who learn to flex both their bicep and their tricep at the same time. They're generally bodybuilders and we need to be careful because you can actually break your bones if you try to flex both, especially if they're very strong. Yeah. And you know, I'm sitting here trying it. <laughs> well, I mean, aren't we all yeah. right? The number, yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm saying it and I'm also doing it. It's just yeah. not, just not feeling in the screen, it in your body, right? right? Yeah. So 
Right. If you're going to do like a bicep curl, mm -hmm. you're really tightening up that bicep, but your tricep really needs to lengthen. You actually have to relax it. Mm -hmm. And if you're not able to relax it, then forget about it. You can't bring your hand all the way up to your shoulder. You mm -hmm. can't touch your shoulder. Right. So, so many people focus on that habit generating process, which again is really helpful. I'm, I'm not saying we need to ignore it. What I am saying though, it's kind of like going to the gym and only doing curls. And after months you can, you can do curls with 70 pound weights. But what happens if you try to do a push up? What happens if you try to do, you know, a, a tricep pull down your triceps pull downs, right? What happens if you try to use those other muscles? They're not as strong. And that other side, I like to call it your adaptive brain. Your adaptive brain is designed to get you to engage in more effortful, more aware, more analysis, and new action. It's there to actually generate new awareness, new analysis, new action, when just plowing ahead in the automatic way is not going to work for you. Another analogy I like to use is it's kind of like our habit brain is the gas on the car, the cruise control. So imagine if you had a car and you're driving to the Grand Canyon and it's on cruise control, but there's no steering and there's no brakes. What happens? Not good. <laughs> I mean, you're going off the cliff if, if right, you don't yeah. get to turn or, or slow down, right? right? Or stop. So that your habit brain is designed to get you to automate. It allows you to get on that cruise control and not have to worry about exactly what speed am I going? Am I going too fast? Am I going too slow? Do I need to speed up? Do I need to slow down? So that's the habit system, the habit brain. But the adaptive brain, what it's there to do is to get you to recognize this is the, the three Ds again. It gives you data. Something has changed. And I need to adjust, adapt, pivot, or change. Because there is a change, it's like sudden traffic, or it's like a red light, mm -hmm. or it's like you get to the Grand Canyon. Well, you need to stop. Yes. Right. Probably before you get to the edge. <laughs> well, I, I would imagine so, right? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> right. And so yeah. our adaptive brain is designed to get us to recognize when a change is happening or we need a change in order to still meet our needs, to get our goals met, to accomplish our dreams, that we need to make a change because our circumstances have changed or something internal has changed, right? Whether it's internal, external, but that's our adaptive system. And so another word for that adaptive system that actually literally filters through all your perceptions, all the data that's coming in from the rest of the world through your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, your touch sense, all of that data gets filtered through what's called your limbic system, mm. which is also, surprise, surprise, known as your emotional brain. Mm -hmm. And most of us, again, we don't understand that the fundamental principles of adaptation, data, direction, and drive, are the very same three things that our emotion system is designed to do. Our emotions give us data about ourselves, our needs, our wants, our environment, and whether or not we're going to be able to meet our need, they help us anticipate what's coming up. Am I about to go off the cliff? Do I need to make a turn? Right? What does it mean when I see this red light? And maybe that looks like, you know, there's money bleeding out of my business. Or maybe it mm -hmm. looks like my sales are slowing down, or maybe it looks like there's market shift towards some other technology, right? So that's the part of your system that's designed to generate that new awareness, new analysis and new action. Most of us though, especially with the uncomfortable feelings and emotions, we think that that's the problem.
We think mm. the problem is the discomfort. We just want the discomfort to go away. Instead of recognizing it's giving me data, it's actually trying to direct me towards what it is that's important or away from something that could be harmful or damaging. And it's going to give me that drive. Its job is to motivate me. When we experience stress, it's because something needs to get done. Mm -hmm. So it's directing us towards that thing that needs to get done. And it's driving us. I mean, it's hitting that gas. It might be doing it with a big stick, but it's definitely trying to ensure that something gets done. Right. If we didn't have that data, what would happen? If we didn't have that direction or that drive, would we get anything done? I doubt it. Very, very little, right? (laughs) In fact, if you ask people who are procrastinators, and I, I can raise my hand and count myself sometimes among them. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Oftentimes it's because I'm actually not listening, mm-hmm. paying attention. When stress is there, you know, and on a zero to 10, it's a three or a five. And I'm like, uh, it can wait. I'm going to just treat it like a zero or a one. But then at some point, because it, you know, our stress has a job and we have a need to adapt or something that we need to get done, that there are consequences if we don't get them done. Well, my stress is going to keep going up because it's going to keep pushing. It's like the firefighter at the door. Well, if it sees a fire, firefighters sees a fire, they are going to start by knocking. But if nobody answers, they're not just going to give up and go away. And neither will your emotions. That's why they're so persistent. Mm -hmm. So what I find as far as the kind of resistance is if I start by talking about feelings and emotions, people are like, no, no, that's kind of like whatever or woo woo. Or sometimes (laughs) they'll say like, Or sometimes they'll say, look, I know, I just need to control or manage them. And I'm like, no, Mm. you don't need to control or manage them. (laughs) What you need to do is listen, and you need to know Mm -hmm. how to listen. What you really need to do is to recognize that they give you, their job is to give you data, direction, and drive. And I can teach you the frameworks, the tools, the skills to do that. And if you do, your stress isn't the thing that's getting in your way. Now it's your rocket fuel. Mm -hmm. Now it's the indicator. Now you can tap into it. And again, sometimes it's really about how we relate to when those emotions are, because as it turns out, our emotion system, again, is very adaptive. It's designed to be adaptive. So guess what? It's going to adapt to however you are or are not responding to it. If you under respond, guess what? It's going to push harder because it is there to try to help you adapt. And that's how people end up constantly feeling stressed, overwhelmed, all kinds of other feelings. Mm -hmm. It responds to our response to it. Because again, it's your adaptive brain. Now, if you know how to harness it, it can become your best friend instead of your worst enemy. Mm-hmm. It can become your superpower. How do you get leaders and organizations to understand the value of this? You know, it's a great it's question. nice, right? I mean, I, I think it's great, but I wonder, I mean, as a decision maker, I could hear somebody saying, bottom line it for me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Here's your bottom line. When, and there's tons of research on this, when people are unengaged, when they don't get their needs met at work, when they're overloaded with work, their mistakes go up, their productivity goes down, their efficiency goes down, and they leave. Mm. And most companies, and sometimes they'll say, look, you don't have to listen to me. If you want to live through it, you're welcome to live through it. You can ask practically any other company who's been through this. The companies with the highest turnover have really surprisingly, and I think unsurprisingly, similar environments and experiences. There are parts of it that are really even predictable. There are parameters Mm -hmm. there, right? So you can let that happen. If you want to let it happen, it's your prerogative. Here's what happens. Every time somebody leaves and you want to replace them, it costs 1.5 times their salary. You have to (laughs) at least, right, and and Mm -hmm. often more. You often 
when you hire somebody new, you're paying them more. You also, they don't immediately get to take on that full workload. They need training and really to be totally ramped up. They often need six plus months. So -hmm. you have somebody you're paying for six months. Who's not really giving you the value of the person you already had who left because you were, for example, overloading them with work. And so, you know, you want, you want the bottom lines, the more people you keep, the more their needs are getting met, the more they're working towards their goals, the more engaged they are, the more you can demand from them as you provide support. Research shows that you can have a high demand atmosphere in a workplace. As long as you pair it with high support, those people will be high achieving, your company will grow. You know, the outcomes are so, it's so much more likely and engaged employees tend to generate 1.5 to two times as much revenue for their companies. So what do you, I mean, again, it's your choice. I, I'm not here to convince anybody. Right. I don't but are really you waiting for them. something in particular to make this decision? <laughs> Might be the way I if would frame you, that. If you want waiting to. Waiting for something to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want to, I, I yeah. sometimes I, I kind of, I struggle. There's a bit of me that's like a little back and forth. There's a part of me that says, look, if you want to wait until your churn is 40% and you're bleeding out and you can't get people to do the work and you're getting complaints left and right and you're starting to lose clients, you can wait until that point. And I might sit back and be able to say, I told you so. I don't want to be in that position. That's the part of me. There's a little part of me that kind of wants to like sit there and smile and say, look, you can wait until that happens or I told you it was going to happen or we can look at why. And I don't take any pleasure in that. Right. And that's the other part of me that's conflicted. I don't want them to get to that point. So sometimes it's a struggle. Look, if you want to know, if you want to grow, if you want to build something that reaches towards your goals and dreams and everybody's on board and everybody's getting those things, then we can work on that. It is a resource intensive, energy, time intensive process like any adaptive brain process is. It is not the habit brain. Right. It is the adaptive brain and it's designed to get us to have new awareness, new analysis, new action that is going to lend or lead itself to continuing or ensuring we're getting our goals and needs, right? So I often take the stance of, I will lay this out for you. Here's the story. You're welcome to buy in or not. If you see it and understand it and believe it, you know, let's go. Yeah. If not, I'm not here to convince you. I'm not going to make a change. And honestly, it's an uphill battle. And it's not one that's going to be a win-win for you or me if you really don't see the value in it. Absolutely. This is a really, really important point to drive home also, especially for people who might be new in business, in a service-oriented business, especially. I've made the mistake. You may make the mistake. Probably people who are listening have already made the mistake and learned from allowing a not so great client. And it's not that they're not good people or good organizations or whatever. It's just not the right fit. Mm -hmm. And this is really key. That level of detachment (laughs) is practice. To me, that's Mm -hmm. practice. Not, you know, because I can always see what the potential is for a client or prospective client, but to allow space for them to make the decision themselves. It's when they really want it that they'll actually put the work in to get it. If you just want to check a box and say, we've done some kind of adaptability program, go somewhere else for it, right? Mm -hmm. And not that we would say it that directly, but that's kind of what you're saying, right? Is that they have to want it in order to get it. Otherwise, it's a waste of everyone's time. It's a waste of their money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something that we, you and I have talked about before, it'll make you look like you don't know what you're doing or you're not good at your job. It would make me look like I'm not good at my job. 
when they're not ready to do the work. So I think that's interesting. And it's also another key point that I want to bring up is touching on the pain points. You know, old world, old school marketing was, you know, drag them through the mud and across hot coals over their pain points until they bleed and cry and beg you to save them. I think all we need to do is show them, right? Mm -hmm. At this point, like you're saying, this is a possibility and I can wait till then, but I will take no pleasure and that's not a good place for you to be, or you can take the leap of faith and buy in and do it. So I think that's really great that you're, you know, you're straddling that fence of people need to sometimes feel that pain. They do. I find that when I, you know, interview a prospective client that I do not poke pain points. I don't, I don't buy Mm. into that way of marketing and connecting with people at all, but feeling the discomfort of the cost of not having the thing that you provide that they Mm -hmm. can get, I think is really important. And that's where, you know, I joke that I sit on my hands, so I stop talking, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, I think I feel like your your approach is one that helps people see what's possible so that now they're making this really empowered choice to do the work with you. Yeah, there are a few points you made that I think are so interesting. One is that marketing that focuses on the pain points, there's a reason it works. And that's because pain has a purpose. It does, it's the same part of our adaptive system as our emotional brain is. Mm-hmm. And that is that pain gives us data. It gives us data that there is damage or dysfunction. Now, physical pain is in our physical bodies. Emotional pain is in our relationships or our lives. It gives us that information. That's the data. And then it directs us. Well, pain directs our attention to that area because it needs attention. It needs healing. It needs addressing. It needs fixing. And then it does drive. It motivates us. So there's a reason that in marketing, it makes sense. Like you said, I'm not interested in poking those points. And for some people, they are so wrapped up. And we often learn to be so wrapped up in the pain itself that we don't understand or look at what the pain is trying to do. And so that's where I'm not going to just hammer that and say, I'll fix it for you. Because I don't want to just, I'm not the kind of person who's just going to go and fix, you know, one broken bone in in your business and it's all going to be great. If you want that, you can go find that. But if if you're going to take that approach and you're not noticing or asking yourself, how did that bone get broken? What were we doing? And especially with the people part of, of business, right? If what's happening is you have a leader or part, someone who's in a team who is either not doing their job or their work and is end up dumping it on others or who is pointing fingers and blaming it at others. And again, all of that can be worked on if they want that, right? Whatever is happening, if there's somebody in part of the way they are being and what they're doing is affecting the people around them and it's affecting their motivation, it's affecting their investment, it's affecting their engagement, their excitement, if they're dreading to come into work. And if you want to fix a bone, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, fire that person and replace them. Well, we need to understand how they got there. We need to also understand what are the things that do and don't work and how do we respond when somebody expresses dread for when they're coming in or lodges a complaint of some kind? How do we respond to those? Mm. Yeah, it's, I mean, the, the, the many, many levels to which your work can help transform an organization I mean, it's, my mind is racing a little bit of just how much of a spillover effect that it can have by making a few, maybe they're big adjustments, but you make the minor adjustments along the way to create that ripple and how much that can change the face of business and how good your timing is for bringing something like this forward in a time where we've been now, 
you know, a little over a year in the US into quarantine and people working mostly from home and, and, you know, all of these adjustments that have been made, how we can shift the culture. We talk about culture a lot in the corporate world as well. We don't really fully grasp what that means, but your clients are choosing to create a culture of high emotional intelligence, of, you know, good human interaction, of support, of growth, of adaptability, but also being able to to be flexible with changes. I know the word pivot was used too much in 2020, so we won't use that word today, but to be able to, I call it constant course correction, right? Just kind Mm -hmm. of little changes here and there. Sometimes we need to make a sharp turn, but usually it's not much that we need to change Mm -hmm. to change the trajectory of what's going forward. So I think that the work that you're doing is just so valuable and so important Mm. and we need it we need it in the corporate world i think people are really hungry to be understood Mm -hmm. and you're you've got a good timing to be bringing this in thank you and you know the way i think about that kind of flexibility and constant course correction as you put it is that that is one very big very important part of adaptability Mm. and we have a part of our brain a system in our brain that is designed to help us do it, right? When, you know, I'll use another example. If I say or do something and I notice that it's hurtful and that my partner is upset, I may feel something. Oftentimes that's guilt. Mm. Guilt tells me something I did may have hurt or damaged a relationship or someone else. But what does that guilt do? You know, what's the data? That's the data. What's the direction? What does it direct me to do? Oftentimes it is, to go repair. Maybe that's Mm. an apology, right? Effective apologies have multiple components to it and addressing how did it happen? How to make sure it doesn't happen again, right? How do we address that owning up and accepting responsibility for the piece that's mine uh, and not taking responsibility for pieces that are not mine? There are all these different parts to it. If we didn't feel guilt, then we wouldn't course correct in our relationships. Mm. And so that whole system, and guilt is just one of you know 30 plus, you can say almost unlimited number of emotions because they have so many gradations. I love to say every emotion has at least 31 flavors, mm-hmm. you know, kind of evoking the Baskin Robbins mm-hmm. um, idea that they show up so flexibly and they're designed to help us be flexible and make those course corrections. That's why they give us data, direction, and drive. Mm-hmm. That's also how it so aligns with that adaptability, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you've seen this or heard about this. Adaptability is one of the newer waves. It's actually kind of the like post-emotional intelligence wave is now all about adaptability mm. and adaptability quotient, AQ and adaptability intelligence and how to increase your adaptability. It's it's starting to get a lot of talk and a lot of buzz now. As it should. <laughs> we have a cat that snuck in the room. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I I just, I feel like human nature we've been asking for it for a long time and maybe we just didn't know how to ask for it or we didn't know how to address it. And it's really needed, but I'll just drive this home again for our listeners. It's the people who recognize that they need it, but they also want and are willing. That willingness is a huge key. And in my Mm -hmm. coaching practice, the willingness has to be there. The need is not enough. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to make a fit. It's the willingness to say, all right, I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to do this thing. And I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. I know this is a relatively new business for you. And I have 
a sense that you're about to blow the lid off of it. Like it's really about to open up wide for you, especially mm-hmm. now that a vaccine, three vaccinations are on the market and we're looking at mass, you know, production and that the likelihood that people are going to be returning in person, but then they might decide that's not the best thing. And I think adaptability is going to be super important for everything, but the emotional piece needs to be met. I was, it reminds me of a book that I read a while ago called The Feminine Revolution. And it talks about feminine characteristics and how a lot of the characteristics are seen as like weaknesses or whatever in the business world, Mm -hmm. the feminine, you know, like we call people skills, soft skills. That is a horrible, (laughs) horrible phrase. I don't, I hate that phrase. I don't know what else we could call it, but, but the point I wanted to drive home is that we, you know, we sometimes perceive emotions as a form of weakness, right? When, when I worked in the corporate world, I remember at one point I was feeling kind of overwhelmed and I told my boss, I'm feeling kind of overwhelmed. This, this, and this is happening. It's happening all at once and blah, blah, blah. And he was very understanding, but he said, don't use that word at corporate. Yep. They'll want to fire you. Yeah. And I was like, I'm still getting the work done. Right. So I, that, that really touches me and it's been, you know, 20 years or something since I had that job. And still, I really, I really feel that that people really want to be understood. Emotions are part of who we are. I mean, we're human beings. It's who we are. So we're not machines. We're not meant to be. I just, just want to reiterate how, how much I admire the work you do Mm. and how important I I really feel that it is. And I'm really thankful that, that you're doing it. It's going to change a lot of people's lives. Emotions can be a superpower. And again, mm-hmm. a lot of it is how we respond to it. You know, I wanted to, if it's okay, address the, that overwhelm, because I know I mentioned yes. it before. The formula I have for overwhelm is that overwhelm equals when our load is greater than our limit. And that's mm-hmm. the data it provides. The data it provides me is the load, what's currently on my plate or on my shoulders is mm-hmm. bigger, is greater than my limit or my capacity to handle it. Now, what that means then is there are two points of intervention there. One is manage, quote unquote, manage, address the load, how much is on our plate. The other side of that is expanding our limits. If you address either side of that equation, then guess what happens to your overwhelm, right? And so that's what, that's the data that overwhelm tells us. Now, most people, when they're experiencing overwhelm and when they're trying to address it, it's almost always in my experience, not always, but it's very frequently acute And essentially, it's that their load has just continued to expand. Oftentimes, it's because they've tried to expand their limits, usually in ways that aren't that effective. Now, they're Mm. eating lunch at their desk. They're taking fewer breaks. They're not taking breaks. They're working late. You know, and and that's for people in the corporate space or for leadership. There's so many other ways that it looks. Now, they're taking emails. They're, you know, they're not as intentional about taking care of their bodies or their sleep. You know, they're, they're not really caring for themselves in lieu of trying to address all these things, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes it, it, they experience it as there are all these fires and I have to put out all the fires. And, and so oftentimes it's the load that gets all of this attention and how do I address the load and how do I manage the load and how do I reduce the load? And again, it comes back to like creating habits, uh, you know, how do I make habits so that all of this isn't too much? And again, there's, there's a really important piece of that, which is the other side, the limits. Now, when it's acute, yes, you need to address the load. But if you're only ever addressing the load, what you're not doing is expanding your limits. So what's going to keep happening? Well, you're going to keep getting overloaded. Mm-hmm. And what happens when we are overloaded over time? Well, that's the definition for exhaustion and burnout because we don't have enough resources to keep it up. It's not sustainable. So to give you an example, when I what I kind of learned to do and the way I learned to understand 
and help people understand this is when somebody says they're overwhelmed, what they're telling you is their load is greater than their limits. What you need to do or what you can do, the areas that you can address are one, figuring out how to carve out consistent time because it takes consistent effort and energy to expand limits. Because mm-hmm. if you're not doing that, well, then they're going to be in this position again. You don't just take things away from them. You don't just blame them for not having limits, which is like the response that I'm hearing you were getting about corporate responding to overwhelm mm-hmm. is you get blamed and then they, you know, they just assume that you're incapable and then they, you know, they kind of fire or eliminate you for that. Mm-hmm. As opposed to saying something like, look, the current workload is not sustainable given the level of training, the level of growth that I've been had or have had an opportunity to engage in. And this workload is not sustainable in the long term. If it continues, the quality of work that I will be able to output is going to be lower because there's just too much on my plate to be able to do the quality of work that's expected to give it each time and energy and effort that it really requires. And also for me to learn and develop in such a way that I can do it all more efficiently, more effectively, so I can take on more over time. Well, how does corporate respond to something like that? (laughs) I would be willing to bet that they would listen and think, hmm, we need to do something about this. And then they might start thinking about other conversations they've had with other people. (laughs) Well, if they do, right, if they're they're listening, right, if they're able to listen, then sure, what they're going to get out of it is it's data now, Mm -hmm. and it can offer them direction, right? Mm -hmm. It It can even drive changes, right? And it's so different. And again, they're they're saying kind of the same thing, except we just interpret and view them differently. And I think that speaks to beliefs that people have about emotions, their relationship with emotions, which is emotions are woo-woo stuff, Mm -hmm. that they don't really mean anything. Most people think that emotions, or many people think, and especially in the corporate world, that emotions are just disruptive. They just get in your way, which is, I think, unfortunately, they're also embedded in it in things like emotional intelligence and in Mm -hmm. mindfulness, it still views emotions as just being disruptive. Right. Which from my vantage point, as far as adaptability, it's designed to be disruptive. It is like the brakes or the steering. Mm -hmm. If you pump the brakes on your car or you turn the wheel, it is disruptive to (laughs) going with cruise control straight. Right. And it's not advisable to try to do both at the same time. It's like trying to, you know, use your, your bicep and your tricep. You can break the bone if you do that. Right. Right. So of course it's disruptive. It's designed to be, but not unhelpfully disruptive, though for many people it is. And again, I think that comes from how we how we think and, and our beliefs and our and what we've learned, the lessons that we've had around emotions. Mm. Most of us don't slow down and pay attention. We don't engage in those three Ds. Right. That's great. You're offering the opportunity for people to to unlearn things that aren't helpful and to put in place a way to understand people better. Most people really do want to, but haven't found a way to do it. And so Mm -hmm. we just go default to whatever we've already been doing, even if it's not helpful. So that's really cool. Right. That's the knowing it, but not doing it. Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, it's funny, I'll say things like sometimes I'll have clients who have read they've already read all the books that I might recommend and they've already taken you know, so many courses and blah, blah, blah. And my take on that is great. You've intellectualized it. That's fantastic. That means that once you start doing it, it's probably going to be easier because you already know it. <laughs> you know, that's not always necessarily the case, but I can plant the seed with that and I can gauge their willingness to start doing. And I, you know, as a coach, when I take trainings or when I work with a coach, I will say up front, I have no concern about your abilities. My biggest concern 
is about my willingness. And I'm here and I'm willing, but I know a lot of tricks to get around doing. So that's where I'm going to need you mm-hmm. to really be watching me. Right. And of course, any coach who's ever coached coaches already knows that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, if we can come to a level of even being aware that we're lacking awareness, it's a really good starting point. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. very cool. Well, where can people find you? So, for people who are listening who might be, you know, working in a situation where maybe you're, you are the decision maker and you want to learn how to do this, or, you know, you have a good relationship with your decision makers in your organization, how could they get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks for asking. So my website, dryushai.com, is a great place. And there's contact information there. There's a little bit more information. So that's something that can be shared as well. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're interested in the coaching in particular, dryushai.com slash coaching. I'll have a little bit more information about that and how to kind of get started on that piece of it. I also, if you're interested in just kind of hearing and learning and understanding more, then you can find me on podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have my own podcast, The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai. And so I'm available on pretty much almost every, if not every platform you get your podcast. So iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. So I'm in all those places. If you want to look up the business couch with Dr. Yishai, so you can kind of hear and see a little bit more. So those are some places. I'm also, of course, on LinkedIn. And uh, so that's another really useful place if you want to reach out to me. We will share all of these links in the show notes so you can just click and go. Well, I'm I'm just thrilled with the work you're doing. I'm so excited that we've got had a chance to get to know each other and we're getting to know each other and and I just love hearing how you're growing and how you know, we were just talking about a few, you know, minor adjustments and how we're learning and adapting as well. You know, it's nice mm-hmm. to practice what we preach. <laughs> but it's also fun to see just how how you're expanding and how you're growing and and I would love to, you know, you and I will stay in touch between episodes, but I would love to have you back at some point and see what's changed and who, you know, how much mm-hmm. you've been able to make a difference. It takes time, right? It takes time to build the business and it takes time to, to work with a client before they really start to notice the results. I would love to have you back. Sure. If you'll have me. <laughs> I would love to. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I've started doing something. Can I ask you some personal questions? You don't have to answer any of them. <laughs> You're of course welcome to ask. <laughs> They're silly questions, but I've I've gotten some feedback where people are like, you know what I'd like to know? It's just something personal about your guests. So I'm asking questions like, what's your favorite food? Oh, my favorite food is probably nachos. Yeah, nachos. nachos. What do you nachos. like on your nachos? <laughs> um, so I make my own, I make my own sauce, which I, which I really enjoy. Yeah. And then I like to put mozzarella and cheddar. Mm. Sometimes other yeah. toppings. But, do you oh, like it spicy, mild? So I actually, that's when I make the sauce, I get to decide how I like to make it. Uh, and so sometimes I'll put, yeah, based on my mood and I like to experiment and kind of, you know, kind of tinker with my sauce and, and uh, mm. yeah, so I really enjoy it. And sometimes I'll put other stuff like olives or feta and all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Tortilla chip is a great transporter of cheese and tomato based <laughs> things, I think. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay. This one you don't all have to answer. I've been giggling a lot at some of the answers I'm getting. Your favorite swear word. Favorite swear word or f- or expletive phrase if you're not a cursor. Yeah, it's, it's hmm. I don't know if I have one. I'm so I'll tell you something. I try very often, very much not to swear. Sometimes I will if the context or the relationship seems to be, you know, that it's appropriate or helpful or, or yeah. useful in that moment. But I frequently don't swear. I think what I what I like to do is is 
to stop and figure out what it is that I'm feeling and why. Yes. <laughs> this is me saying I do the practice that I right, right. I love um, it. <laughs> uh, so you know, sometimes I think it's I really appreciate when I just kind of like blurt out my feeling and then I immediately follow it with the three D's and I'm just kind of like delineating them. <laughs> so. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah, so I don't know find, if that's really an expletive. But. No, well, but it, it, it's, you know, it's something that's coming from you. Um, yeah. uh, what's the word? Spontaneously, right? That's just mm. like, here it is, right? Yeah. I think yeah. I say oops a lot. Do you? And it's like, yeah, when something happens, whether it's me or someone else, I'm like, oops. Oh, that's so funny. I, I curse, but one of the things I do is I go, ooh. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, something happened, you know, and then, then, and then usually another word comes behind it, but yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> very good. Do you have a favorite like movie or book that you like or type of movie or book that you like to consume? Yeah. Hands down. My favorite movie is Inside Out. Mm. There's like no question whatsoever. Absolutely. Hands down. I saw that movie in theaters with my wife. And the movie ended, I turned to my wife and I said, that's just became number one on the list. Like instantly, number one on the list. I've not seen it. I'll have to find it, track it oh, down. It's on, I think it's on Disney plus right now. Okay. I'll check yeah. it out. Very cool. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I just so appreciate you coming today. Um, mm-hmm. I love your insights. I always, I mean, I take notes when I interview people, but I think I take notes every time you and I talk anyway. <laughs> so I will, I feel like I've gained a lot and I'm sure that our listeners are going to really appreciate hearing your insights. And I hope that people who are listening, who are looking for leadership development and support in understanding how to support your team and, and how to, you know, really connect with human beings as a human being, I please get in touch mm-hmm. with Dr. Yisha. It's just wonderful. So I thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. And I hope that you guys listening really gained a lot today out of it. I mean, that's the mission is really to help us understand ourselves and others better and to learn how to adapt in ways that are really win-wins for us, for them, for everybody. I mean, if we can create a world where every reaction we have, positive or negative, I like to say there's no such thing as a negative emotion, right? But any positive, whether it's pleasurable or uncomfortable, any reaction we have can contribute to finding and getting our needs met and others' needs met and moving towards our goals and our dreams and other people's goals and dreams, what kind of world would that be? I mean, that's a world I want to live in. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. It would be so much happiness. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entrepreneur Mindset Reset. If you liked what you heard, be sure to click the subscribe button so you'll never miss a show. Please leave us a review and tell your friends about us so more people can hear the valuable information we share in each episode. We look forward to hearing from you and celebrating your success.